my name is um, uh, Robin Burgess. I'm director of the uh, International Growth Centre and also professor of economics here at the uh, London School of Economics. So um, we have a, um, uh, as my kids say, do you want the bad news or the good news? So the, the bad news is that, um, unfortunately, Sir Fazli Abed, who was um, intending to give the, uh, the, the keynote, uh, is uh, unwell. He is in London, so in some strange way he's brought us all together and then disappeared. Um, but it's unfortunate. But, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to have um, Mushtaq Chowdhury, who's the vice chair of BRAC, and uh, Mohammed Musa, both of whom are on the stage, who's the executive director, to uh, talk about what Sir Fazli Abed wished to talk about, which was this graduation program, which is going to be the focus of this session, and sort of its role in the sort of wider context of social innovation. I mean, Mushtaq has uh, been with, uh, with BRAC for a very long time, so I think he'll be an able uh, replacement. <coughs> so just to give you a sense of um, what we're going to do, so this is sponsored by the uh, International Growth Center and by BRAC, and the International Growth Center is a, a center headquartered here at the LSE, done in collaboration with, the, uh, with Oxford University. And the kind of value proposition is that we have 15 country offices spread across South Asia and Africa, which basically bring together two communities which have not come together directly, which are the uh, academic researcher community, well represented in the LSC and places like MIT and so forth, uh, with the policy community. So we start, try to start projects which are talking about how to promote economic growth in these big regions of the world where the extreme poor uh, tend to be concentrated. And we work in four areas, in uh, areas around the state, around firms, around energy and cities. And so today we're really going to be talking about a, a large-scale collaboration, which has actually gone on for a very long time now, between uh, the LSC and, and BRAC, and has now, as Esther will be talking about, sort of spread to other uh, countries in the world. So the lineup um, uh, is that uh, Mushtaq Chowdhury, the vice chair of, uh, of BRAC, will begin by giving the keynote uh, on um, the graduation program. And then, very usefully, Mohammed Musa, who is with us all day, we've just spent a day with about 120 people from the academic and policy communities talking about this graduation program. He'll give you some of the takeaways of what we, what we found. Um, and then that will be followed by uh, the Honorable Desmond Swain, who thankfully is somewhat familiar with this program, has recently visited Bangladesh. But more importantly, will you know, have a sense of the importance of this program in the wider context of the SDGs. Uh, so uh, Desmond Swain is the Minister of State for the Department for International Development. So he will uh, give a talk right after the presentations by... Um, Mushtaq Chowdhury and, uh, and um, Mohammed Musa. And then that will be followed by two talks, uh, one by um, Anna Minge. What's interesting there is Anna is actually responsible for the uh, targeting the ultra-poor program in Blank. She's at the coalface of uh, the, the graduation program. Um, and then that will be followed by two evaluation talks, one by Oriana Bandiera on Bangladesh, on the, on the BRAC graduation program, and then by Esther Duflo from MIT and j on six 
uh, evaluations of the same program in six completely different contexts um, across the world. So then we'll follow that by uh, question, uh, question and answer. And I should say that the, the kind of interesting thing here, at least for me, is that a very long time ago in 2006, uh, when I went out to Bangladesh, um, I was sort of shown this program in its pilot stage. And what was interesting is basically it's an attempt to, to give a large amount of capital and a large amount of sort of skills and support to literally the poorest women in these villages and to see whether they can shift into different uh, types of occupations. You know, and I'm, I guess, like many academics, quite sort of skeptical, quite agnostic, who does this work. And so I put, saw the pi- women in the pilot stage, and it was interesting that already then you could sort of see that something had happened to them in terms of the type of work they're engaged in, the types of um, uh, uh, assets they were owning, and also just the way that they stood with the landowners and others. Obviously, when somebody like me shows up in a Bangladesh village, everybody shows up, and you could sort of sense that there was something, something, something had happened to them. And I think Mushtaq will be sort of talking about uh, that aspect. So without further ado, um, let me pass the, uh, uh, the stage to... Uh, uh, to uh, Mushtaq Chowdhury. Thank you very much. Honorable Minister, (coughs) uh, friends on on the dais, uh, distinguished audience, students, teachers, friends, a very good evening to you. Uh, first of all, I'm, I also wanted to apologize on behalf of my, my boss, the, uh, uh, the founder of BRAC, uh, Sir Fazli Asana Abed, who has suddenly fallen sick, so he's unable to attend, and uh, he has asked me to uh, fill in, in, in his shoes. But as you can understand, it's, it's not easy to feel in his shoes. Uh, two years ago, uh, uh, the medical journal, Lancet, uh, they published a profile on, on me. And uh, uh, one of the things I said in, in, that, in that profile is that uh, uh, whatever Sir Fazli Hassan Abed has achieved, if I can achieve at least 10% of that, I will feel that I am successful in life. So you can imagine that his shoes are at least 10 times bigger than, 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 than mine. Uh, so with this uh, uh, premise, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to speak to you. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to be here at LSE. Whenever I come, I, I really feel a little nostalgic because I spent a year at LSE uh, about 35 years ago as a, as a master's student. And what I learned at that time, the experience I had, had a profound effect on, on, my, uh, on, on my life and the, and the life that I lived uh, since then. So I'm oh, very grateful to LSE and the opportunity that, uh, that the LSE offers. Uh, I, I come from Bangladesh, and as you know that uh, Bangladesh is a, is a small country with a big population. Uh, uh, it's, it's probably about the size of England, actually, but it has a population of 160 million. So that sort of gives some idea of the, of the, of the type of, 
uh, uh, challenges that, that, that we, we, we face in Bangladesh. But despite that, uh, if you look at what the country has achieved over the last 20, 30 years, it's really, really amazing. Uh, in terms of most of the development indicators, the MDGs, uh, Bangladesh is on track to achieve most of the MDGs, actually. Uh, so, for example, with respect to uh, uh, children in school, the enrollment at the primary level, uh, more than 95% of the children are now going to school. They are enrolled in school. Uh, in terms of health, uh, the infant mortality has been reduced to about 40, which was about 150 at the time Bangladesh became independent in 1971. The fertility rate, uh, the number of children that a woman uh, lives at the, at the end of her reproductive period, uh, it was about six, only, only about 30 years ago. Now it has been reduced to about 2.2, which is the replacement level. So Bangladesh has done very well over the, over the, over the, last, uh, over the last several years. Uh, in terms of life expectancy, uh, Bangladesh's life expectancy is 70 years. But more, uh, more interestingly, the gender dimension of that uh, uh, only about 20 years ago, Bangladesh wa was one of the three or four countries in the world where women lived a shorter life. Uh, biologically, the women should live longer, but Bangladesh was, was an exception. But if you look at the, the uh, longevity, the, the life expectancy of men and women, you see that uh, the, the women are now living at least one year more than men. So this has been achieved, I mean, that, that, uh, which, which we are very proud of. In terms of poverty, uh, in, the, in the 80s, uh, uh, about 60% of the Bangladeshis were poor. But recent statistics are showing that this has come down to about 24%. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, things have been written on this achievement of, of the country. Uh, and... Uh, 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 They've been trying to analyze why this has happened. Uh, if we compare Bangladesh with our neighbors, India or Pakistan, uh, they are much richer than us in terms of per capita income. But the, the achievements are much higher for us. So what, what is going on in the country? Researchers and, and uh, 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 academics like Professor Amartya Sen uh, they have also been doing research on what, 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 what is going on in the, in the, uh, in the country. Uh, so one of the things that they all agree is that Bangladesh has a very vibrant civil society. There are problems of governance in the country, but despite these problems of governance, the country is moving ahead, and the NGOs uh, are playing a very important role in that. And BRAC, for which I work, uh, I have been working for BRAC, with BRAC since 1977. Uh, is one of the, one of such NGOs, and all the all the all the uh, analysis that have been done on Bangladesh's recent, recent development actually allude much of the progress to what what BRAC and similar other NGOs do in the country. So uh, we are very proud to be part of BRAC. BRAC was uh, set up in 1972. 
as, as an NGO. Uh, uh, initially, we did relief work. Uh, there were about 10 million refugees who were coming back from India after the War of Liberation. And the immediate task was to rehabilitate those, those refugees. So that's how BRAC was started. But we soon discovered that relief is not the solution for the poor people, for, the, uh, 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 for women. Uh, they need development. So we started different development activities. So we set up uh, uh, four clinics uh, uh, to, to take care of health services. And we employed doctors. But within six months, all the doctors uh, resigned because they don't want to work in the rural areas. So that was one of our first failures, I must say. Uh, we uh, started the microfinance program back in 1974. And the initial idea was that uh, the cooperative that we were, we were setting up at that time uh, would be linked to a government bank. And the government bank would give, it, give, give uh, uh, loans to these, uh, these, these poor people. But the government bank was not ready to provide loans without any collateral to the poor people. So that also failed. Uh, uh, then we also started a, an education program for the adults. And that was quite successful, uh, 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 borrowing uh, the ideas from the Brazilian thinker, Paulo Freire. We developed this, uh, this functional education program, uh, which, which actually uh, emphasized conscientization of what, in, in the words of Paulo Freire. Conscientization is consciousness with action. So you, you, you become uh, not only conscious, but if you, are, if you are conscious, you should also act in order to improve your situation. So we have been working on this conscientization for a long time. Uh, uh, 1978 was the year of the child. And the, uh, the founders of BRAC have always been thinking about large things because it's, it's probably in, in, the, in the DNA of BRAC leaders that if something is uh, effective in a small village, it is our responsibility to take it to as many people as possible. So the scaling is a major kind of, kind of uh, 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 thing that we want to practice. So 1978 was the, uh, was the year of the child, and Black wanted to do something uh, significant for the whole country. Uh, uh, we thought that at that time immunization was something that UNICEF was, 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 was promoting. And we, we thought that we should help the government to, 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 to intensify the immunization program. But at that time, uh, electricity was not there in every sub-district. But in order to uh, do an immunization program, you need a, a, a coal chain. So that was not possible. Then we thought about diarrhea because di diarrhea was a, was a major cause of death in the country for the children. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the best solution for diarrhea was ORT, oral rehydration therapy. Uh, it was discovered in Bangladesh, but it was never used to, uh, 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 for the mass people. So Bragg thought that we should really uh, adapt it to the local situation. Uh, and uh, uh, we developed a local formula with uh, salt and sugar. So it is only uh, 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 mixing of a 
pinch of salt and a fistful of, of uh, sugar into a half liter of water, and that gives your ORS. So we decided to uh, bring this to the to the to the to the uh, to the common people, to, to everybody in the country, and we, we trained back workers. They went from house to house, and and uh, taught this message to uh, every woman in the country. Uh, we decided, we, we, we thought that it is very important that we want to see the impact of that program on mortality, child mortality. So with the help of best minds uh, uh, internationally, we developed a research design and started collecting data. One of the uh, uh, data that we collected was uh, whether the uh, uh, the mothers were using this solution when their children have diarrhea. And to our uh, great frustration, we found that only 10% of the children were given the solution. Uh, so this was a big frustration for us because we thought that if, if you give the uh, knowledge to the people, uh, they will automatically start using that. So there was a huge uh, 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 knowledge and, and, and practice gap. So we started uh, doing research. What is, the, what is the reason for this? And we found uh, there are many reasons. We, one of the reasons was that, that uh, the, the health workers who were uh, 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 teaching mothers, they themselves didn't believe in, in, this, uh, in, in this ORS. That, uh, uh, so if, if I am a teacher and if I don't believe what I teach, Obviously, that teaching won't be very effective. Uh, so we, uh, we brought all the health workers to the uh, uh, cholera research laboratory in Dhaka and then uh, showed them how ORS works. And they were convinced and they went back and, 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 and started teaching. So that helped us to bring the ORS use rate from 10% to 15%. But it was still very, very low. Uh, so we did other research, and we found that uh, that uh, uh, that that uh, the uh, 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 there was a sort of a uh, uh, lack of the involvement of men, because the black health workers were men uh, or women, and also the uh, they were teaching uh, uh, women in the uh, 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 in the household. So the men were not at all involved in that, and so 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 uh, in our society it is a uh, 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 man-dominated society. So when the question comes about using something which is new, uh, men play a very important role, and the woman told us that 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 her husband didn't allow her to use this. So uh, so 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 that was another learning, and we started uh, 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 involving men through that. Uh, uh, the reason I'm saying all these uh, example is that uh, uh, this is something we learned from very early on that uh, you have to have research and evaluation as part of your programs. Uh, 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 that's why BRAC has been giving huge lot of attention on evidence generation. Uh, uh, BRAC is probably one of the NGOs which has a very large research and evaluation division. Uh, we have about 100, 100 people working, uh, so that's one of the learning that 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 uh, uh, <clears throat> that we had. 
uh, another problem we, we uh, uh, since as I said that since 1974 we have been trying to implement a microfinance program but this microfinance program that we started in 1974 as I said uh, failed but then we, we sort of uh, 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 refined that program and then uh, but, uh, and, and uh, by, uh, uh, by, uh, by 1990 uh, a large number of uh, 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 households are being covered by the microfinance program. Uh, when, when, I, when I did the research on uh, who is getting the loan, uh, we discovered that uh, the, the poorest of the poor, uh, for which such a loan is meant for, they were not getting the loan. Uh, uh, they were kept completely out of the, of the reach of, 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 my, of uh, microcredit. <clears throat> and uh, again, we, we started doing research to find out why uh, the, the poorest of the poor, the, what, what, whom we call the ultra-poor, are not getting the loan. We found that there are both supply-side problems, also there are demand-side problems. Uh, demand-side in the sense that uh, 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 the microcredit has several rituals. For example, if, if, if I am a micro, uh, microcredit group member, I have to attend a weekly meeting, which takes about two hours. But, but if I am an ultra-poor woman, uh, I have to work in, in order to support my family. Uh, and if I uh, go to the uh, 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 meeting, then I cannot work, and, and I have to forego the, the, the wage for that day. So it was not very, very, very... Uh, 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 very good for the, uh, for the ultra poor women to, 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 to access credit. There are also supply side problem. Uh, 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 so, uh, so, for example, if if I am a uh, uh, credit officer, I will think three times before I give a loan that the person I am giving loan to will be able to repay it. Uh, and if it is ultra poor women, I know as a credit officer that the ultra the ultra poor woman will not be able to pay it back. So, so, so those were some of the reasons why the microcredit program that we were running at that time was not reaching the ultra-poor or the, or the poorest of the poor. So this led us to think about uh, uh, a new product, new program, and that led to what, what we now call the targeting the ultra-poor program. And we are here today, actually, uh, to talk about this program uh, 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 this program was started in 2002, uh, and over the last fifth, uh, 13 years, we have actually reached about one and a half million popula- uh, one, one and a half million uh, 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 families. Uh, uh, <coughs> my colleague um, uh, Anna Major will be talking more about this program, uh, uh, and, and, I, and I'm not going to uh, uh, more details on that. Uh, Now, what, what makes BRAC different? What are the distinguishing features of BRAC? Uh, one of the things is that, that we believe that uh, we, we believe in the power of the people. We believe that the, it is the people who can change their own destiny. It is the people who can change their life. It is the people who themselves can change their future. Uh, so that's, that's, that's one, one thing that we believe in. Uh, secondly, is that 
that that we we believe in the holistic nature of poverty, uh, the the uh, 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 the goal of Brac is uh, poverty alleviation and empowerment of the poor and women. And the way that we look at poverty is in a very uh, wide, holistic way. It is not about only, only about a lack of income or a lack of employment that makes one poor. Uh, it is actually... It's a combination of many other factors which make one uh, poor. Uh, uh, it, it is the lack of access to health care, it is lack, uh, uh, lack of access to education. Uh, it, uh, it is the uh, disempowerment of, of the women. So all these cause poverty. And in order to address poverty, we, we have to have programs which address all the causes of poverty. So that's why we have programs on education, on health, uh, on, on empowerment of women, uh, on, on climate change and so on. And we believe in scale, as I said earlier. And all our programs are large programs. Uh, the the, the ultra-poor program, as I said, that we reach about one and a half, half million families. But in, in, in the microfinance, we have about five million borrowers. So that's one of the top uh, uh, microfinance organizations in the country. <clears throat> in terms of education, uh, we, we, we have uh, programs starting from early childhood to primary to secondary and to the tertiary education. Backgrounds at university, uh, which is about 7,000 uh, students, and, and it is now one of the top universities in the country. Uh, 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 in terms of primary education, backgrounds about 40,000 schools, uh, which, which enrolls about 1 million children, and BRAC program on primary education is the largest private sector uh, educational program in the world. Uh, in terms of health, uh, BRAC has large programs on tuberculosis, for example. Uh, uh, indeed, uh, uh, Bangladesh is probably the only country in the world where the entire TB program, tuberculosis program, has been handed over to NGOs to implement. And BRAC covers about two-thirds of the country through, through this. Through this. Uh, and, the, uh, and the results are astounding. Uh, 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 when, when, uh, when the WHO, the World Health Organization, has set uh, the, <clears throat> the uh, treatment completion rate uh, to be achieved at 85%, uh, BRAC rates is 95%. So, so, so the quality of program is, is, also, is, is also very important for us. And uh, uh, today you also talked about, when we were talking about the ultra-poor programs, we talked about the where the programs are implemented, and we, we give huge attention to how to how to how to implement program in the best possible way. Uh, uh, so, so so the scaling uh, is a is a major 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 distinguishing feature of BRAC. Uh, transparency, uh, uh, BRAC believes in transparency. Uh, 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 we, we have. Uh, 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 an internal audit department which is th over 300 people. So this is probably the largest internal audit department in any NGO in the world. Uh, 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 moreover, uh, over the last 15 years uh, we have been uh, having a, an, an, an ombudsperson who, uh, 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 who doesn't report to the executive director, he reports directly to the board. 
and and he's the person who who sort of takes care of any any complaints uh, uh, that may come from anybody within the country not only from 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 Bragg but also from our side <coughs> the other feature is that uh, Bragg believes in in sustainability its own sustainability and since uh, the 70s uh, we have been trying to set up uh, enterprises but not an enterprise uh, uh, just for making profit but enterprises which which really helps to uh, 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 support a program so for example we have uh, we are the uh, second largest producer of milk in the uh, in bangladesh and why you set up a, uh, a dairy industry because uh, we give loan to the farmers to 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 raise uh, uh, cows and, and and but but uh, 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 the farmers don't get uh, uh, good prices because because uh, because they live in in far flung areas and the uh, the difference between the price of milk in there in the village and that of uh, uh, that in dhaka is is huge uh, so 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 we, we uh, uh, we thought that we have to uh, find a way to 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 uh, sort of uh, uh, help these women market their milk in the in the uh, uh, in the cities. So we set up this uh, uh, dairy plant, and and we collect milk from the villages and then process it and then market it in the uh, uh, in the uh, uh, shops of Dhaka and Chittagong, the big cities. Also, we found that that. Uh, the 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 cows that we have they do not produce enough enough milk uh, so so uh, so we imported uh, uh, cements from from holland and from new zealand and we have started an artificial insemination program through which we are trying to uh, 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 improve the breed uh, which, which which will produce more milk so so uh, also that that uh, uh, we didn't have a good um, uh, health program for the for the for the uh, uh, for the cattle, so we trained the local uh, 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 inoculators and linked them with the with the government, and they now inoculate the the the, uh, the cows, which which reduces mortality. So 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 uh, uh, this is an example of how why we are sort of. Uh, 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 building enterprises in order to support uh, our our programs. Uh, Bragg spends about nearly a billion dollar every year, so that's our budget. But seventy percent of our budget actually come from our own sources, and and the enterprises that I was talking about is one of the sources of that. So so we are uh, dependent on donors uh, for about thirty percent of our our our. Uh, uh, expenditures, our, 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 our budget, and we are we are so grateful to our donors. Uh, of, uh, so we, we, we are particularly grateful to DFID uh, 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 because we have a very special relationship with them. We have what we call uh, the SPA, the Strategic Partnership uh, um, uh, Agreement uh, uh, between DFID, BRAC, and the Australian government, through which they give us budget support. And this is something which is which is a, uh, a new paradigm in in financing development. Uh, so 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 this has been so helpful, and we are really grateful to our donors for 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 the for the support they are 
providing to us. Uh, so that's, that's uh, I mean, those are some of the uh, kind of distinguishing features of BRAC. Uh, and uh, we, 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 we are uh, sort of so, so proud to be uh, uh, working with many of our partners, uh, such as the Learning School of Economics. Uh, uh, in 2002, as I said, that we, we, we decided to go international. So the uh, the uh, uh, Taliban war in, in 2002 in Afghanistan was a kind of a turning point for us in the sense that we decided to go international. So the, in the, Afghanistan is the first country that we, we, we went to outside Bangladesh. Uh, uh, now now BRAC is, is present in 11 countries uh, in, in Asia, Africa, and also in the Caribbean. And what, what we see is that uh, the solution that has been uh, born in, in Bangladesh in the south are also more or less uh, uh, applicable to most of the countries where we work. Only thing that you have to do is to, is to adapt that to the local situation. Uh, the, uh, the, the people, the poor people have similar problems and they also have similar aspirations. So whatever uh, solutions we are able to uh, uh, develop is, is applicable for most of the poor in other countries. Uh, uh, so, so, so we we are very, very, very proud to be uh, working in in the uh, in, in other southern countries. Uh, so that's that's what uh, I, I I wanted to talk about. And uh, but but uh, but I, I, again, I, I'm 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 very grateful to you for 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 the opportunity to, to speak. And again, on behalf of uh, 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 my my my. Uh, the uh, the founder of BRAC, uh, we, we apologize that he is not able to join here today. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure his speech would have been much sort of rewarding for you. But but uh, <laughs> uh, but, but uh, uh, I, as I said that I mean, his, show, his shows are ten times bigger than mine, uh, at least. So with these few words, uh, 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 thank you very much for the. So I'd now like to welcome the Right Honourable Devon. Professor, can I I start by uh, thanking the uh, International uh, Growth Centre for its sponsorship and for its hospitality uh, and for the great work that you do. Uh, And Mushtaq, if you can take back to Sir Faisal my congratulations on the extraordinary achievements of BRAC over the last um, 43 years, Uh, and my best wishes for a speedy recovery. Uh, My own personal recommendation is um, I find that alcohol is a great reviver. Uh, And the moment you feel feel unwell, you should begin to drink heavily. Comrades, my um, overwhelmingly the greatest um, event of my development year as minister was visiting a youth club uh, in the chores of um, Bangladesh uh, where there were um, run by BRAC and there were, there were what was described as um, adolescent females what I would call young women uh, about 25 young women um, and about 
half a dozen extraordinarily lucky fellows who had also been included in this youth club. And the afternoon began with my arrival, and they were playing board games um, on the floor. And um, I wandered around and chatted to them, and they were playing musical instruments that they had made. And after a while, they got up and performed an extraordinary dance that they had choreographed themselves. And then there was a play, an instructive play, uh, in which the dangers and the solutions, the strategies for for solving the problem of early and forced marriage were explored. And then, just as they were about to come to the climax of the day, um, a busy, officious uh, gentleman got up to explain that the minister was very busy, and of course the programme was behind schedule, and unfortunately we had to get on, and that was the end of that. And we then saw what I thought was a magnificent example of the empowerment of women. When one of these girls got up, now of course all this took uh, place in, in what I presume was Bengali. But you can tell what people are saying from the tone of their voices, usually. And she got up, and I'm, pretty, I'm sure I pretty well paraphrase what she said. She said, now look here. We've been looking forward to this, and we've worked very hard, and we've rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed, and we're bloody well going to carry on with this, or we'll be very pissed off Indeed. So shove it. And they got up and performed what they had been rehearsing, which was their ninja skills. It was a terrifying performance. I have some military experience. I served in Iraq. I would counsel any young man not to cross any one of those young women because of their ability to be able to deal with them quite um, robustly. So that's my experience of BRAC. Uh, I'm glad to say that we've been, um, uh, we've been in partnership. I think the partnership with um, what was the predecessor for the Department of International Development began as far back as 1970. And we are now engaged in this great joint endeavour to deliver the global goal of abolishing absolute poverty by 2030, leaving no one behind. That is the important principle by which that goal has to be delivered. And that means, therefore, skills, education and livelihoods for even the most marginalised, be that girls or the disabled or whatever, absolutely inclusive. That is the measure by which this must be delivered. So it's all about jobs in the end, because it's only by secure employment uh, that you will build the resilience to be able to not slip back into poverty. It's only through secure employment that you will be able to afford nutrition, health care and education for your dependents. And it comes down to the, be able to deliver the transformative development that will deliver livelihoods and jobs. 
Now, BRAC, with whom we are now working actually across the, uh, the globe, in a global partnership in Africa and in Asia, uh, but if you look at their work in Bangladesh, it has an extraordinary reach. 50,000 villages, 120 million people with, as we've heard, 4.6 million borrowers uh, from the microfinance arrangements that they provide. A truly extraordinary reach. Now, in 2011, we entered a strategic partnership along with our allies, uh, Australia, with BRAC, into which we have invested some £223 uh, million, pounds, and it's one of the best investments that we have made in order to lift a million people out of poverty. And from that programme has developed uh, this integrated development programme, the graduation model, which I think is a, a key deliverable. We mustn't underestimate the difficulty of achieving the global goal of abolishing absolute poverty in 15 years' time. But I honestly believe in BRAC we have found a model by which it can be achieved. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So now I'm going to welcome Anna Minge, who is the director Thanks. of the TUP program. So we're now going to get into the nitty-gritty of what this program is. And then the last two presentations uh, before Mr. Musa sums up will be by Esther Duflo and Oriana of, of the evaluation of the programs. Anna. Uh, good evening. Uh, I am uh, privileged to be here and share our program, especially around targeting the ultra-poor. Um, uh, before I start talking about the program in detail, uh, I wanted to give some uh, background information why targeting the ultra-poor program, program is in Bangladesh. Uh, as our vice chair mentioned that our country is small, but it, this country is uh, having 158 million population. And out of this, 17% are living below the poverty line. And these extreme poor people suffer from chronic hunger, malnutrition, and also they have inadequate shelter, and they are highly prone to many types of diseases, deprived of education, and are particularly vulnerable to natural disasters. And in this context, we do have uh, safety net programs of government, but this program mainly serve as protective approach rather than promotional or transformational approach. And also another important aspect that even though Bangladesh is the birthplace of microfinance and many other development interventions, but ultra-poor people are largely bypassed by these uh, interventions. And realizing that reality, Bragg started this targeting the ultra-poor program in 2002 
and especially this program is designed to meet the needs of ultra-poor households who are too poor to access the benefit from the traditional development interventions. And this program has emerged based on BRAC's three decades of experiences uh, from its rural poverty alleviation program. And this targeting the ultra-poor program is two-year cycle. And objective of this program is to assist the ultra-poor population to graduate from extreme poverty by bringing positive economic, social, and aspirational changes in their lives. And second objective is to support them to get access to the mainstreaming development uh, program. So to achieve this objective, uh, we very carefully and systematically implement certain uh, components. Number one component is targeting. Uh, we actually carefully target this population to identify members, those who are most in need, and to do that, we apply participatory rural appraisal, and we <coughs> involve here the whole community. And in this PRA process, they do social mapping, wealth ranking, and later on, we do the door-to-door -door survey and also verification. And finally, the people who are selected for the program, normally they have less than 10 decimal of land, they have no productive asset, and they depend on day labor, irregular day laboring or begging, and they have no active male member who can be engaged in regular income earning. And the second aspect is asset transfer and stipend. Uh, each client receives a package of assets and, and, and stipend uh, for a certain period of time, and asset transfer helps, helps this uh, member to create an economic asset base, and stipend act as breathing space while they acquire new skills. And in the process, we also encourage them to save, to build up saving, savings habit. And the third component is trainings. We provide them three to five days classroom uh, training on enterprise development and also hands-on training by weekly home visits and confidence building training. And this training particularly designed to enable them to maintain a self-driven, upwardly mobile trajectory from extreme poverty. And uh, component four is tailor-made healthcare. Our members uh, receive healthcare support with access to community, health workers, physicians, and medications. And this is to stop or reduce the erosion of income from spending on healthcare. And another important component is uh, community mobilization and social integration. And this is to support the sustainable development for the extreme poor through social integration. And in the process, we form 
village poverty reduction committee as a platform for social support and also provide them security for their asset and also protect them from maltreatment or injustices in the community. So these are the five very uh, specific components we adopt during this uh, two-year cycle. Uh, let me focus on some of the key factors, key success factors, why this program is actually successful and, and working. We think that providing skills along with the assets and consumptions to improve their livelihood is critical for longer-term sustainability. And as a result, uh, when we move away from any particular area, by then the members have already gained some skills and knowledge to run by themselves. And second key success factor, we think that coaching and hand-holding is very important. It's a must to boost up their confidence. As they are not only lagging behind economically, they are also socially excluded and their confidence level remains very low. And through coaching, we unpack their social problems. And third success factor, we think that program is not only focusing on targeting and asset transfer, rather it works with them through holistic approach to address their other different uh, needs like healthcare and social inclusion. So these are a couple of key success factors we think uh, helping program to go on. And few uh, ideas about next step or scale up. Uh, in BRAG Bangladesh, uh, definitely we will be uh, continuing this program and we will be uh, covering additional over a half a million households by 2020 in addition to 1.6 million households. As still there are 21 million populations yet to cover in Bangladesh. And again, uh, we will be also expanding this uh, approach <coughs> in BRAC international countries, particularly in Uganda, Tanzania, Sierra Leone, and Liberia. When we say that we will keep on continuing, that means uh, in the all phases, BRAC has actually continuously tried to refine the approaches and did some adjustments. So during this next phase, during 2016-20 also, we will be doing some new innovations and adjustments to, ma to make it more cost-effective and, and, and efficient. And second, uh, we will be uh, focusing on advocacy of this graduation model at national and international level to influence government and other players to eliminate extreme poverty by 2030 as per SDG. And also, thirdly, we have planned to help others to implement graduation approach, and this we do in collaboration with uh, BRAC USA. And here we provide technical assistance, consulting to government and implementing organizations where they request, and also uh, we will create implementation guidelines, training materials for new implementers, and also we facilitate immersion visits to facilitate learning and experience sharing about the graduation model. Uh, 
So this is very uh, shortly I have explained. And to summarize my discussion, I thought of uh, running a small video. This is Sabina. She lives in Bangladesh. She works hard every day and yet struggles to eat one meal a day and support her family with bare necessities like clean water and education. 1.2 billion people live under the extreme poverty line of $1.25 a day. Sabina is one of hundreds of millions of people living on less than half that, especially marginalized and vulnerable, barely able to sustain themselves. They are the ultra-poor. But Sabina has found a way to break free from extreme poverty. Through an organization called BRAC, she will get a foothold on the economic ladder and continue climbing. She will have graduated from extreme poverty and she won't be going back. Since 1972, BRAC has been creating opportunities for people to lift themselves out of poverty through healthcare, microfinance, and other interventions. But even BRAC's most successful programs have had difficulty reaching the very poorest. In 2002, in order to address the unique needs of people like Sabina, BRAC created a set of interventions tailored for the ultra-poor. The process begins by engaging communities and helping them identify which families are in the greatest need. Once chosen, Sabina and her family get a one-time grant of an asset, like a goat or a package of goods for small trade, which helps them jumpstart their livelihoods. Sabina also receives a cash stipend along with regular training and hands-on guidance as she learns to make a living. She gets health support, learns how to save, gains confidence, and becomes better integrated in her community. Over the next 24 months, Sabina's life is transformed. She earns enough to eat regular meals, drink safe water, and send her children to school. In Bangladesh, BRAC has reached more than 1.4 million households. The impact is significant and well documented, with more than 95% of participants graduating out of extreme poverty and moving forward with hope. In collaboration with CGAP and the Ford Foundation, other organizations have successfully adapted BRAC's model in other parts of Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Today, BRAC is ready to work with partners, governments, and donors to implement this proven program for ending extreme poverty around the world. Partner with us at BRAC.net. Thank you. Thanks very much, Anna. Um, so now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the two evaluations. So to begin with, can I invite Oriana Bandiera, who's the director of Stickard and also professor here, to do the Bangladesh evaluation. Thank you. Okay. So it's a tough act to follow. I have no movie, no music, just hardcore <laughs> economics. So prepare to be bored to death. Uh, let me actually take it from what the minister said. It's all about jobs. And so I'm going to tell you what jobs for these women look like in these very poor communities. And BRAC being BRAC, this is going to be based on a very large-scale survey. Nothing can be done in a small scale with BRAC. So we look at uh, 1,300 villages and 23,000 households. 
so about 100,000 people in, uh, living in these villages. And these households belong to every wealth class that you can imagine within these villages. And that allows us to give you a sense of what the labor markets look for these women in these villages. And I'm going to tell you four facts. The first, which is perhaps the one that we found most surprising, is that the choice of jobs is extremely limited. If you look at these bars, each bar represents one occupation, and the total sum of the bar represents the total number of hours worked by these women in these communities. And you see that, by and large, there are three colors. Each bar represents a branch area. And by and large, there are only three colors. There is some white, which is a residual category, but there are mostly three things. And these three things are casual labor in agriculture, casual labor as maids, and livestock rearing. Now, each dot here represents the hourly wage in these three jobs. And again, green is livestock rearing, like before. Blue is uh, casual labor in agriculture, and red is casual labor as domestic maid. You see clearly that casual labor in agriculture and domestic maid pays a lot less. And that's true across all of the branches where we work with BRAC. And then finally, and perhaps you saw this coming, only the poor do the casual jobs. So these four bars represent the share of hours devoted to the three things, the blue, the red, and the green, and the other, by the ultra-poor, then the near-poor, then the middle classes, and then the upper class. And you see that the upper class will never go close to work as a casual laborer. They only do livestock rearing. And the only people who do casual labor are the ultra-poor. So poverty is intrinsically linked with job choice. And the poor do jobs which are paid less. And one thing that you can't see from these graphs are much more irregular. That's what casual means. It means that you show one day at the market and you see if somebody needs help harvesting their fields. If they do, you go work. If they don't, you go home and you haven't worked for the day. And so if you look at the number of days that they work in these occupations, it's on average 120. So four months of the year they work, the remaining eight months they are underemployed or unemployed altogether. Now the question is obviously why? Why do we observe this? And one possibility that Brack relies the program on is that these people are trapped in a poverty trap. And you can start at any point in the circle. That's why it's a trap. It reinforces itself. But I'll start from the top. This is a situation in which the poor have no productive assets, that is, no livestock. Because of this, they can only do casual jobs. These casual jobs pay little and are available only some months of the year or some days of the month. This means that they have low income, and because they have low income, they can't afford more productive assets, and they can't get out of this vicious circle. And that's what Brack tries to do. And I'm not going to go into the details of the program because Anna has already explained them to you. But the idea behind the program is precisely to break the trap. How do they break the trap? Well, they give them a productive asset. The productive asset is extremely valuable, especially relative to the situation of the ultra-poor baseline. Back in 2007, when this program started, it was valued at 140 US dollars, which might mean nothing to you, but it meant a lot to them. It was one year worth of yearly per capita consumption. It was two years' worth of yearly earnings, and it was nine times worth their stock of savings. This was a lot of money. And as Robin said, when we heard about this, as economists, we were very skeptical. We said, you're giving them something that's worth a ton relative to what they have. These people are starving. Perhaps the rational response is to go out and sell it immediately and start eating well. Well, if that were the case, there would have been 
better off in the very short run. They would have had a big meal. But, of course, their life wouldn't have been transformed. So that's where the evaluation comes into the picture. We decided to collaborate with BRAC to run a randomized controlled trial by which we assigned 20 branches to treatment about half of those 1,300 villages, 700 and more or less villages, to be treated in 2007, and 20 branches and another 700 villages to be kept as controls for four years. So for a period of four years, we have a group that's treated and a group that's controls. We survey a lot of people, and the bottom line is that we have a sample of about 7,000 beneficiaries and 16,000 people from other wealth classes. You know, they didn't sell the cow. They actually worked with it. And because they worked with it, they changed jobs. So the colors here are the same colors that you saw before. Green is livestock rearing. And on the vertical axis, you have the number of hours devoted to these jobs. And you see that the green goes up, and the blue and the red, they all go down. Okay? What that means is that they are changing jobs, and their jobs are looking a lot more similar to the jobs of the richer women in the same community. An interesting thing in the dark blue bar there is that uh, total hours worked go up. So they're working more hours, which suggests that at baseline, they were probably underemployed. Which if you remember, and I'm sure that you remember because you were paying a lot of attention to what I was saying, if you remember what did I say, that these casual jobs are available only rarely. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. On average, they're there one-third of the time. So by giving them a cow, you give them a job which is regular and is available every day. And so the hours they devote to, to work, the labor supply in economic terms, go up. The bottom line, well, it's only the beginning of the story, but the bottom line of this transformation in job choice is that earnings go up. They go up by 37%. Consumption goes up, not surprisingly. You earn more. You were starving before. Now you starve a lot less, which is a great thing. But the true transformation comes from the increase in savings. They not only consume more, they start saving. And now, why would they save? Well, let's see what they do with these savings. They go up, there's something really funny that happened with these slides. Okay. Um, they go up and buy productive assets. The value of cows go up. That line was supposed to be roughly half the way through the first bar because that line represented the value of the transfer. So, of course, the values of cows go up. Genius. Brack gave them cows, so obviously they have more. But actually, after four years, they have a lot more than Brack gave them originally. Okay? And not only cows, they also buy land. Now, if you're in these villages, land is the asset. Only the richer people have land. The ultra-poor people whom a baseline couldn't even afford a goat now are able to save until the point that they buy land. And they also increase the value of other business assets. My figures were a lot more impressive than this. I don't know why they got all squashed, but believe you me, these are significant effects and they're quite sizable and precisely estimated. Okay, now this doesn't come for free. Okay. Well, I told you it costed $300 per household. If you translate it into purchasing power parity, it's about $1,300. So you want to compare how much are the benefits relative to the cost. And, of course, the scale should go the other way around. I don't understand what happened to this presentation. But look at the numbers. <laughs> I know, I have my theories, but I shall not share them with you. Um, 
the benefits are a lot higher than the cost. Seven, regardless of what the CISO is telling you, 7,360 is a lot larger than 1,363. Now, to do this calculation, what we use is an assumption that whatever gain they had after four years would last forever. This, you might say, is a heroic assumption. So what about the opposite? What happens if the gains disappear after four years? Well, if the gain disappear after four years, the program barely breaks even. So the truth, you might think, might lie in between zero and 5.4. Well, that depends, because there could be an even more optimistic state of the world, which is one in which actually things get better over time. And that's what I'll do in the rest of the presentation. This is, oh my goodness, for the financially <laughs> minded among you, this was a, an estimate of the internal rate of return, which is 22%, which is higher than the opportunity cost of funds. That is, if Brack had taken this money and instead of uh, giving them to the ultra poor, they would have put them in the bank, they would have earned about 5% a year, and they could have paid the ultra poor 5% a year. If they give them cows and training and all the rest, they earn 22% a year, regardless of what the slide says. Okay, so now I don't dare think what's going to happen to these slides because these were my most ambitious slides. But I can tell you in words. If the graphs come all silly, I'll tell you in words. So as I told you, it's important to understand what happens in the very long run. And so we came back with, on the field with Brack seven years later. After seven years, some of the controls had been treated. So I won't show you control versus treatment. I'll show you the treatment where it goes and then a counterfactual estimate of what the control would have been. And let's see what happens. That's not looking good already. So this was expenditure on non-durables. That's the effect. Okay. So you see where it's going. The first, uh, the first bit is the change after two years. The second bit is the change after four years, always yearly changes. So we're always comparing change one year to the next, okay? The third bit is the change after seven years. So if you compare yearly expenditure in 2014 to yearly expenditure in 2007, the increase is way larger than the corresponding increase with respect to 2011 or with respect to 2009. So all those calculations that we were doing on the cost-benefit analysis, thinking that we were heroic in assuming that the four-year benefits will continue in the future, actually turned out to be probably underestimates because the effects after seven years are much larger, and definitely much larger than it looks in that graph. But uh, what can we do? This is expenditure on durables. So before it was non-durables, food, electricity, and the like, everything that you consume and is gone. Durables, you know, the things like TV, a sewing machine, and the like, the expenditures on durables also increases. Productive assets go up, same thing. They go up after seven years as much as they did go up after four years. And perhaps the most impressive of all productive assets, although not so impressive in this graph, is access to land. I told you uh, land is the productive assets for excellence in these uh, communities. And at baseline, about one out of ten ultra poor had any access to land by renting, not even buying. Uh, after seven years, we are up to more than four out of ten. So it's a massive transformation in their asset position. So what do we con oh. I'm sorry. This, this was a beautiful graph. It's not going to be so beautiful anymore. Let's see. Let's see. Let, let's have trust. So that was the poverty trap, right? I want to conclude from where I began. I began with this poverty trap that the ultra poor were in and uh, Brack's attempt at killing this poverty trap. 
And the way that Braque tried to do that was by, well, that was supposed to be on the no, obviously. <laughs> now it's no assets. <laughs> Okay. Okay, this is better. Okay. They were only doing only casual jobs. Now they combine labor with assets in small businesses. Okay? Before they had low pay and low demand. Now they have higher hourly pay and they have regular employment. This means that their income is now higher. And guess what they can do with this income? They can accumulate more assets. And now what was a vicious circle? becomes a virtuous circle where things get better and better year after year. So the conclusion is that there was a poverty trap. Brack succeeded in breaking it, and this was a great success indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much, Oriana. So um, we're going to have to, I think the minister needs to take his leave. So thank you very much for coming. I'd now like to welcome Esther Duflo from MIT to the stage. I wonder whether I should tell Mr. Honorable Minister that he cannot possibly leave every house for a very long time. And I was really looking forward for that time. Uh, Okay, I'm going to be very quick. Uh, I'm standing between you on questions and dinner, and uh, there is no minister anyway. So uh, uh, I will be uh, very rapid. I'm going to uh, pick up exactly where Oriana left it and give us this uh, really amazing result uh, of the impact evolution of Brac. Uh, but one question you could ask. Uh, okay, so this is a general problem. Mm -hmm. It was not just her. I was like, she's not prepared. Uh, <laughs> I'm not from Brack. Um, and uh, I had nice colors and all that on my slides. But uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, any uh, woman associated with a Brack uh, organization is powerful and uh, doesn't let any, anything stop them. Okay, so three questions uh, from, the BRAC from the BRAC evolution. One is, is it BRAC's magic touch? Well, if it was BRAC's magic touch, it would be good enough because they are reaching already millions of people, and so we would learn something interesting. But, if it's for, but is it about the program? Can other people implement the same program? That's a very important question if we are thinking about scaling up beyond one organization beyond Bangladesh. Secondly, is, is the entire package worth the high cost? And is the entire package even necessary? Third, what are the long-term impacts? And uh, Oriana already told us some about the long-term impact. I'm going to be very quick on that because it's a similar result from elsewhere. First question, does it replicate elsewhere? How do we find out? Well, by running uh, evaluations in other places. So thanks to SIGAP uh, and the Ford Foundation and IPA led by Dean Carlin, uh, and Brack, who provided um, technical assistance with a bunch of partners. Uh, similar evaluations, randomized evaluations of, the BRAC pro of, the, of a Brack-like program, graduation program, were conducted in all of these countries around the world. Uh, we know it's a real Brack-like program because there were regular visits, reverse site visits from Brack to the site, from the site to Brack, and uh, meetings uh, in, uh, in Paris or other places where people exchange notes. So, of course, the program is, is adapted in every place as it should be 
to suit to local, local conditions. For example, guinea pigs are assets in Peru, and they are not present in Bangladesh, I don't think. Uh, and, um, but other than that, it's the same philosophy with the same basic component. What does the evaluation show? Uh, the evaluation shows that basically the, re the, the results that you're finding for the BRAC evaluation, you're going to have to take me uh, uh, as a, um, on my words, given the, what happened to the slide, but the, 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 the impact of the programs are very similar in all of the sites, except uh, with the possible exception of Honduras, as we find them uh, to be in BRAC. So the assets go up uh, in, in every site, uh, the income and revenue go up as a result in every site. You can see, or you could possibly see some variation from site to site, but the point is that it's generally going up. Uh, in, in countries after countries, per, cap per capita consumption as a result is going up as well, and food security, which is the ability to feed your family every single uh, meal of the day, is also going up. Uh, in every site, even in Honduras, where we don't see an overall increase in consumption, we do see an overall increase in food security. So the poor, even in Honduras, the poorest of the poor seem to have gotten something out of this. Uh, financial inclusion go up, and uh, mental health go up. Your ability, this is measured both by self-reported happiness, but also by an internationally validated uh, scale on depression that is used in all of the sites. Uh, and uh, physical health uh, is a bit more, uh, varies a bit more from site to site. Uh, basically, there is much less of an effect at this point. Women empowerment also at this point varies a lot more from site to site, although overall we do find an increase in index of women empowerment. Um, the, it, there was a discussion in the presentation by Min about the involvement, about inclusion in the village, and that is measured by an Im overall impact measure on political involvement. Uh, this is not about running for president. Uh, this is typically about being involved in uh, 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 the day-to-day -day running of, uh, uh, of your village. And we, see, we tend to see an improvement both in the pool results and overall for most countries in uh, political involvement of the, of the beneficiaries. This, again, I repeat, are all made of uh, com um, comparisons of either people randomly selected to receive or not receive within the program or villages where uh, some people were selected to, uh, or villages where the program was in place or was not in place. So this is very robust, very solid results. So does it replicate elsewhere, or is it BRAC's magic touch? It is not BRAC's magic touch. It's important to know that these organizations were not that special. I mean, they were special in the sense they agreed to participate, but otherwise, some, one of the most successful replications is, is in Ethiopia, which is run by the government. Pakistan has another very successful replication. It's run by uh, dozens of different NGOs, some of them very tiny. So there is nothing about these organizations that it's a bunch of elite people, you know, particularly competent uh, people. Uh, the fact is, through these training manuals, through these cost visits, BRAC was able to replicate their formulas with, you know, you and me. I mean, I'm sure you would be very good, but the, uh, with the, the normal, uh, a normal set of people. So that is very encouraging about the ability of such a program to be scaled up. Uh, Someone mentioned earlier that we are the proof of concept stage. In my view, this type of result tells us we are way past the proof of concept stage. Uh, this is something that, this is a formula. I'm not saying this is the beginning and the end of every single result solving any single problem of the world, 
But what it does, it does well, and it does in several countries with several types of people, and therefore we can be reasonably confident that this particular formula can be replicated. Now, I, found you, I showed you a bunch of uh, results, but of course it costs a bunch of money, and the question is, was it worth the high cost? Uh, we already saw, or we would have seen if the slide didn't go backwards, uh, <laughs> that it was, the high cost, it was worth the high cost for Bangladesh. Does it also apply in those replications? Uh, so on average, it does. Uh, if you accept Honduras, where uh, the, the cost-benefit calculation is based on increasing consumption uniquely. So this, by the way, is a lower bound because it doesn't value any of the other benefits that I also saw, such as mental health, participation in uh, political institutions and the like. Uh, but if we're looking at just consumption effects, and we don't value the asset per se, by the way, uh, we see a uh, um, rate of returns that uh, you know, are in, in Ethiopia, uh, 200% in India, something like 400%. That is, uh, uh, assuming a slow decay in the, in the impacts, very much like uh, Oriana assumed for Bangladesh. Now, so this means something that is something that more than pays for itself. So this is something you can replicate, and this is something that if you replicate, it more than pays for itself in terms, of course, of the social benefits. It's not that you can go back to these people and ask for the money back. Uh, <laughs> but still, the question becomes, well, it pays for itself. Is it still the most, uh, is it still the, is it still the, the most, the best thing you could have done? Uh, and in particular, is it, are there ways to strip down? You, you saw in the, it was in, in the video and in the, the steps the number of, ste of, of things that are involved in this package. And something that is in, 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 the, in, the, in most of the sites, the direct transfer to the, the household in terms of the value of the asset plus the stipend is only about a half of the overall cost of the program. So a very natural question that people usually bounce at us if it has not ar arisen before is, look, you have all this personal cost on top of it to run the meetings and the advice and this and that. Do you really need all of that component? Because that money is not something that goes to the poor. It's something that is just spent in personnel who could be doing something else. So this is a, a, a true cost as opposed to the asset transfer, which is a fiscal cost, but not a true cost. So then the question naturally is, okay, can you strip it down to just the value of the assets, for example? And for that, we can't answer this question from this series of evaluation alone because this is uh, a set of packages. So can we uh, answer it by looking at... So what we need is another evaluation, or really, ideally, several other evaluations, where we're trying the component separately. Uh, uh, so, for example, uh, this morning was presenting something about Pakistan, very short-term results so far, comparing just giving cash to doing the full uh, version of the program. Another program which are results that are a little bit more advanced is the Ghana program that I showed you. I showed you the result of the straight ultra-poor program, which has the whole component. But in some other villages, they did what they call uh, very poetically a gold drop, uh, and uh, this morning it was even a liquid gold drop, which makes it even more complicated. Uh, a gold drop is simply a situation where I give you the cow, and that's it. You're free to do whatever you want with it. You won't get any particular support to take care of it. So it's, of course, much cheaper to administer. And the bottom line is that uh, if you give people goods, after one year, 
they have goods. That's kind of reassuring. <laughs> but when it's not given, they could have made a uh, meshui like very early on, and then you would have no good. But after, right after end line, they still have the goods. But that's it. There's no improvement in their, believe me on what this is, income and revenues, consumption, or, uh, asset, or other assets. Basically, when you give people a, just a good, they have more goods, but they don't seem to be able to generate substantial uh, changes in the, in the revenue with it. So this one evidence from Ghana suggests that you know, BRAC has a complete approach, which seems to be uh, uh, what is needed in this case. The asset alone doesn't just do it. Finally, what are the long-term impacts of, of the entire package? The long-term impacts are absolutely essential, both from the cost-benefit point of view, uh, because if the results only last uh, a year, then it's really not worth the high cost, uh, and because this is a program which is meant to eradicate poverty, and eradicate poverty is not about eradicate poverty over one year. It's about eradicating poverty forever. So it's really uh, an idea of a big push at the level of the individual, of the household, a big push and say, okay, now that I've taken you out, you're on this different trajectory as the uh, poverty trap cycle uh, clearly put. So we've seen in Bangladesh that it seems to be the case when we are looking at the seven-year-old results, we're thinking results that do not decline and only increase. I'm just going to show you very briefly one more data point uh, for <coughs> India where we also have seven-year results, the very similar timeline as the Bangladesh result. The result came out in February. We started in February 07, and we, have, we conducted the seven-year end line in January uh, 2014. Uh, uh, you have to believe me. Okay, I'm not even going to try to show you that. Uh, all the effects grow, but you don't know because uh, somehow the color went away. Uh, well, you can kind of know if you can read care very carefully. The effects are in, in numbers over here. So EL1 is uh, uh, blue. That's the f immediately after the end of the program. EL2 is one year later. EL3 is in white uh, uh, afterwards. And you can see that all of the L3 numbers are larger. Larger effect on per capita consumption. Larger effect on household house asset index. Larger effect on food security. The only place where we don't have a larger effect is on borrowing, which is not necessarily a bad thing because most of the borrowing that goes down in informal sources, larger effect on total savings, uh, similar effect on time spent working, larger effect on physical health, larger effect on mental health. So very much the same as uh, what Oriana told us. This is based on comparing people who initially got the program, haven't been touched by Bandan forever. Bandan is not even in those villages anymore. Uh, to people who are uh, stayed in the comparison group. So to conclusion, uh, does it replicate elsewhere or is it a BRAC magic touch? Yes, it does replicate. It's a true policy innovation. It's not just a great organization. It's a policy innovation, superb public good uh, that is here for us uh, to use. Is it an entire package worth the high cost? Yes, it is. Is it necessary provisionally? That's the conclusion, I think. What are the long-term impacts? Uh, the larger impact over the, over the long run than over the short and medium run. So what do we need to do next? Well, I think we need to go and scale up. Uh, I, you know, I'm a researcher, thinking scaling up is, uh, researching is what I like to do, but I think we can hit the pause button on research if needed and move ahead. Uh, but of course, we need to learn as we scale. 
different actors, governments, other organizations, different models potentially continue to try out different versions. Maybe it's possible to lower the costs, even while keeping the overall philosophy of the program the same. Uh, understand the mechanism of the unlocking of the poverty trap better. That might be our job, or it might be the job of, uh, uh, of the partners on the field combined with us. And then a final thing is heterogeneity, which despite the name, the targeting the ultra-poor program, the poorest of the poor still benefit from the program, but in graph I didn't attempt to show you, which I'm glad I didn't, it actually benefit less than the rest of the poor. So the question is why, and the question is, is it possible to design the program, change even change further, refine the program, or invent a new, new thing, a new kind of support for this household specifically, so that they can join the bandwagon and get the largest effect as well. Thank you very much. Okay, so we, we, we're nearly out of time, but um, I just wanted to say two things. One is that, which wasn't mentioned, is of course the big challenge is going to be to get this idea into government. Um, and so that's what we've been spending much of the day. But what I suggest is there's just a couple of burning questions that people want to ask. There's a tradition at the LSE that people should be allowed to ask questions, and our time is nearly done. Uh, so I'm going to take three questions, and then I'm going to close it and have the panel respond. So there's two very burning questions uh, in the middle, and I see a third at the top. Uh, so, so it's the beginning in the, yeah. Hi, thank you all so much um, for your talks. My question is for Esther. Um, why do you think the cost-benefit was so much lower in Honduras, and why do you think it was so much higher in India? Was it because the NGOs were more competent? Was it because it was a similar context as Bangladesh? Um, what made it so successful there? Uh, what was replicated and what didn't work in Honduras. Okay, then behind. Good evening, my name is Francisco. I am an MPA student, um, student of Professor Bandera. Uh, I wanted to ask kind of like a mixed question for Brack and then for Professor Duflo and Bandera. Uh, first, uh, Brack, is the social enterprise one of the biggest ones? Uh, you show how you can be sustainable being an NGO and not depend on on donations. Do you think this program can be su sustainable economically uh, for other smaller social enterprises to apply, not necessarily having to just spend, because obviously in the cost-benefit analysis, it's, it's beneficial, but not sustainable. It's like spending, and then it does good, it's worth it, but could we make it self-sustainable economically? And then for the professors, uh, do you think that we can apply this for urban poverty, and not just necessarily rural in the sense of like um, there's almost one billion people living in, in slums. How could we translate these results into, into urban poverty? Thank you. And then the gentleman at the back. A slight repeat of the last bit is are there no uh, urban ultra poor and if so how did they come out? But also how does this affect um, say the refugees that are likely to come from climate change in Bangladesh? Uh, is it just going to get them all ready to move abroad or move to Dhaka? Thanks. Okay, so if the panel could pick up whichever one of these they want. Uh, and, Should and I answer we'll the first one? Yeah. Um, so we enter the realm of speculation slightly when we when we want to compare, when we compare uh, results from only seven places, especially since we have no hypothesis exposed, so there could be more explanations than data point. Uh, so I'll give you an anecdotal data point, which is uh, Honduras people gave chicken, and the chicken died of uh, chicken, chicken flu, or whatever chicken died of. <laughs> uh, 
So, um, so that's, that's that kind of what happened. So what you see is in N-line 1, you actually do see improvement in consumption because the chicken were still there, and then by N-line 1 and N-line 2, the chicken uh, meet their demise, and it goes away. Uh, so that's the anecdote. Now, uh, related to the other question, a less anecdotal thing is if you plotted the impact of the program against the, the level of uh, um, poverty rate in the country or GDP, you would find roughly that the effects are larger in the poorest places. Uh, and then at the same time, the costs tend to be smaller in the poorest places, except when they become really poor in Africa, etc., where the you have uh, labor force can be expensive. But this is where India and Bangladesh are a super sweet sweet spot. Lots of very very poor people, and you can uh, and the costs are not very are the lowest to run the program. Uh, so I think that's that's sort of why uh, you get uh, you get you know the largest effect in largest effect are in Ethiopia, Ghana, and uh, and India. And uh, the, the lowest cost are India, so India wins the cost-benefit analysis. Um, uh, on the urban question, uh, there are urban ultra-poor, it turns out there even are urban ultra-poor programs, uh, but um, they were not part of this set of evaluations yet. In fact, early in the process, we thought we could do some urban stuff uh, with Banden, but uh, it didn't happen. And then this is something that definitely many of us are very interested in uh, in studying uh, the uh, impact of similar programs for the ultra-poor, you're less likely to give, give cows and more likely to give uh, uh, little capital to, to run a business. On the sustainability question, I think in a sense it's the... I don't, I'm not sure it's the right question. Uh, it doesn't matter that this particular program is not financially sustainable, uh, both for... Equity reason, we don't think it's right that there is anybody who lives under extreme poverty. So the world is willing to redistribute resources to them. The question is, can we do it effectively? And this shows that we can do it effectively in this way. In the same way, you never ask whether an immunization program should be cost-effective, or at least I wouldn't like to ask this question. We don't care. We would be willing to pay people to get immunized because it has a lot of externalities. In this way, there might be externalities, such as migration and stuff like that that were mentioned, uh, they might also, but uh, quite aside from that, we just think, as a world, as the SDG have shown, that this kind of poverty is intolerable and we are willing to pay to get rid of it. Thank you. Mohamed, you want to Yeah, I wanted to respond to the question around climate change. Yes, in our program, we do uh, operate our program in the climate resilient area and while we actually uh, provide them climate resilient livelihood uh, and also along the program uh, we uh, provide them education especially uh, the disaster prepared education and also we, we encourage them uh, the homestead gardening and while we say about the climate change education or disaster preparedness education, it is not only provided to the, our target population, it is we provide it to the whole community so that the whole community is prepared to, to, to face these challenges. This is one. And in terms of uh, sustainability, I think that, yes, it is sustainable as far as we have implemented the program. But financial sustainability definitely is, is a safety net program, so it needs to continue uh, to, to address this extreme poverty. 
Mohammed, you want to? Okay, I think we're uh, out of time, so I'd just like to end this by thanking uh, Mushtaq Chowdhury and the panel for their presentations. <laughs>